since before the implementation of the law, many people have had a very um, incorrect understanding of what this law does and what this law grants to people as far as protections go. Now, is the Affordable Care Act perfect? Oh my God, no, of course not. Um, it's a mess and the American healthcare system is a mess. And I personally am of the belief that we need to fix what we have and not burn it to the ground and start over. Hey, before we get into the episode, um, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, and I am so sorry, I'm trying to get this out as soon as possible, but uh, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, this weekend, uh, Saturday, January 21st, day after the inauguration, uh, all over the United States, and I believe some cities elsewhere in the world, uh, there is the uh, Women's March Um, The flagship march is in Washington, D.C., but like I said, it's going on all around uh, the United States. So on the episode page for this episode, I will have a link to find a march near you. Uh, Currently, as of yesterday, and I haven't really checked it since then, um, the Women's March platform uh, did not do the best job of integrating disability rights. as far as I know, they are working on that. Emily Ledow uh, wrote a fantastic, fantastic piece on the establishment, uh, which I will also link to in the notes. She makes a really great case. Not that like we should have to make a case, but uh, she makes the case for why disability rights need to be better integrated into the platform for the Women's March. Uh, she does a, an outstanding and very thorough job acknowledging what they got right and uh, the wide range of issues that uh, affect our community and their relevance to otherwise quote-unquote intersectional feminism, which very often winds up leaving out disability issues. Um, So I will also link to that in the notes. Oh, right. Of course, this was actually why I turned my recorder back on. Suffering the Silence. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you may remember I talked to Erica Lupinacci in episode... So this is a good problem to have that I actually can't remember the number which which episode is which anymore because I've just had so many. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, Erica, I talked to in episode 32, and Allie Cashel, I talked to in episode 33. They are co-founders of Suffering the Silence, uh, an online community for people with chronic illness. Uh, Allie Cashel literally wrote the book, Suffering the Silence, um, which is about her experience with Lyme disease and uh, looking at uh, the different issues around Lyme disease and talking to scientists who are researching and doctors who are treating and patients who are living with uh, Lyme disease or consequences from a past infection. Uh, This past year, they actually incorporated Suffering the Silence as a 50C3 nonprofit organization. So they can now take your donations and um, they're working on some pretty cool projects and partnerships. And uh, one of those is for the Women's March. It's called March With Me. Marching With Me? 
hashtag marching with me, partnering the Women's March in Washington with individuals living with disability and illness. So the way that it works, it's going to be pairing uh, marching participants in D.C., and people who are unable to attend the march or or one of their local marches. Uh, The marchers are receiving a letter-sized banner to print with the name and photo of their supporter, which they'll then pin to their coat and wear to the march. Participants will be invited to share photos and experiences with their partner on the day, fostering community and sisterhood while we stand together in solidarity even if some of us are sitting, or I would add laying down. Um, so this is this is really exciting, and I'm so glad that they're doing this. Um, even under ideal accessibility conditions, not everyone, not everyone would be able to make it. So um, this is great. Unfortunately, the deadline is today, January 17th. So if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, and that's something that you're interested in, check it out. Link to in the show notes on Suffering the Silence of Social Media. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them all over the place. I think that's it. Um, I, I, uh, so this is about uh, the Affordable Care Act, which you might know as Obamacare. I've been sharing a lot about that or retweeting mostly different information about uh, developments uh, over the past week. So that's a place to go to find more information about this. Of course, as always, you can find resources and links and more on our website at insicknesspod.com and find us on, so- find us on social media, uh, most of all Twitter, at InSicknessPod. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey there, and welcome to In Sickness and In Health a podcast about our bodies and issues at the intersections with chronic illness, disability, healthcare, and mortality. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a health policy expert. I'm just a person and a patient and a podcaster who really needs to talk about this stuff more. You'll know this if you're a regular listener, but just in case you aren't, most episodes of this podcast, I have a guest and I talk to them about stuff that's relevant to them. This episode is a little different. I'm just talking to myself and you, I guess, if you're listening to this. I'm going to be talking about Obamacare. What the fuck even is Obamacare? And why is everyone so upset about it? And how is it different from the Affordable Care Act? Spoiler alert, they're the same thing. Many politicians this year uh, campaigned on the promise to repeal Obamacare and or the Affordable Care Act. And they seem to be following through on that promise. Uh, Last week, if you're listening to this around when it comes out, in the middle of the night, (laughs) had a voterama where they were voting on all sorts of measures um, related to their budget. And some senators proposed some things that would safeguard certain very popular provisions of the Affordable Care Act and some other programs like the Children's Health Insurance Program and some stuff with the VA. I've seen a lot of people say that uh, they actually repealed these specific provisions, but they did not, at least not yet. They were voting on protections and they voted against those protections. So essentially what they did was kind of shovel the sidewalk to make a full repeal of the Affordable Care Act much easier going forward. I talked about this in last week's episode, which I put out early Friday morning, 
And by close of business that day, uh, that explainer was already pretty irrelevant because the budget had moved or from the Senate to the House of Representatives and the House of Representatives affirmed what had happened in the Senate. So by the time I put this out and by the time you're listening to it, uh, even this might be already irrelevant. But there's still many steps ahead before a full repeal of the Affordable Care Act. The House still needs to draft a repeal bill. Then the House would vote on that. And if that's approved, it would go back to the Senate. And the Senate would then debate the bill and make possible amendments. And then the Senate would vote on that bill. Uh, and then it would go to some you know, committee or whatever. This is where things start to get really confusing for me. But it would go to a committee and then it would go to the sitting president, who by that time will unfortunately be Donald Trump, uh, where he would then sign it into law. And at that point, the Affordable Care Act would be repealed. And these politicians are saying, oh, we're not going to repeal it without a replacement, except that they are. <laughs> they are fast-tracking this repeal with very few uh, replacement plans. One of the only solid plans that we've gotten so far uh, relates to the provision about people with pre-existing conditions. Paul Ryan said that uh, maybe they'll try out some high-risk pools where they put all the people with pre-existing conditions into the same insurance pool. And I'm going to explain how insurance pools work in a few minutes. But we already tried high-risk pools. We tried them. It was a disaster. And it's part of the reason that we have the Affordable Care Act now. Because the way that health insurance works, everyone pays into a pool, and then the funds are used for individuals' healthcare expenses as they need them. So I saw this joke on Twitter the other day. I wish I could remember who made it so I could credit them with this, but they were kind of sarcastically saying, what if we just did like a giant GoFundMe where everyone pays in and then we dole out funds to people who need healthcare? Oh, wait. That's exactly what health insurance is. Um, for those of my listeners who uh, don't live in the United States, I'm sure this seems very ridiculous and opaque and nonsensical, and you would be right. We are uh, one of the only developed nations in the world that does not provide health care to its citizens. The cost of health care in the United States is a separate but intrinsically related issue um, that I'm not going to go into too much right now because that is also very complicated. But that's, I mean, that's the thing that's underlying all of this is that the cost of healthcare in the United States is bananas by several orders of magnitude more than any other nation in the world. Um, part of this has to do with drug prices and the fact that uh, we actually have laws that prevent our government from uh, setting prices or interfering with drug pricing, uh, which allows companies to charge pretty much whatever they want. We've seen that uh, with price increases, several thousand percent increases on uh, insulin, on EpiPens, on... And there's been several high-profile examples of this, like the EpiPen and like 
Martin Shkreli or whatever his name is. Those are either red herrings or they're indicators of this much larger problem that happens across the board with prescription drugs. I'm not going to go on a rant about big pharma because drug development is complicated and expensive and I rely on a lot of pharmaceuticals to, you know, stay alive. Um, so I'm not going to be that person, but it is pretty unconscionable <laughs> that uh, they can just charge whatever they want, driving up healthcare costs. But back to the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, and certain provisions went into effect at different times. So after the initial approval of the bill uh, were things that related to the healthcare industry, to the insurance industry, but also the provision for kids to stay on their parents' insurance until they turn 26. I personally benefited from that provision. Uh, when I graduated from college, the Affordable Care Act had not yet gone into effect, and I was going through a particularly intense health situation and had a very difficult time purchasing insurance that was extremely expensive. Um, so I would just say right now that a lot of the complaints about the Affordable Care Act not actually being affordable are definitely valid, but at the same time, that's not necessarily because of the Affordable Care Act. There's a reason why this legislation exists, and that's because the American healthcare system has been fucked up for a very long time. Moving on. In 2013 was when the insurance marketplaces launched. Now, this is the key kind of core of the Affordable Care Act, at least as it relates to people and how they get their health coverage. So just to zoom out a little bit about how people get insurance here in the United States, a large portion of people get health insurance through their employer. So their employer buys the plan and everyone in that company pays into this same insurance pool, the giant GoFundMe, uh, and then that all goes through that group health plan. Uh, for people who are over age 65 and people on the government's disability programs, such as SSI and SSDI, um, at least after a couple years, I know that on SSDI you have to wait a couple years after being approved before you can get Medicare. Uh, and that is, like I said, for people over 65 and people on government disability programs. Medicaid, different from Medicare, is for low-income individuals. Now, under the Affordable Care Act, several states were able to expand Medicaid and offer it to more individuals, but several of the states with Republican governors chose not to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, um, which has resulted in coverage gaps in those states. Uh, so the next group of people are, are the people who buy insurance on those health exchanges that were set up by the Affordable Care Act. And the price that people pay for those plans is based on income, and you get tax subsidies that changes the amount that you pay monthly, or the, um, what are they called? Insurance premiums, that's the amount that you pay monthly. So those monthly insurance premiums are based off of your income. 
And in those states where governors chose not to participate in the Affordable Care Act, like I said, there are coverage gaps between people who cannot afford the marketplace plans and people who would otherwise be eligible for Medicaid. Um, then in my research, I found that there is a group of people who get health insurance through other. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what that means. And then of course, there are people who are uninsured. And the rate of uninsured people in the United States has gone down significantly since the Affordable Care Act went into effect, which was the main purpose of the law. Now, of course, as I personally know, health insurance coverage does not necessarily equal health care, but that also is an issue for another time. So these health insurance marketplaces, the exchanges, each state was supposed to set up their own uh, for the residents of that state to browse and buy insurance options. Um, if you've ever used like one of those sites to buy uh, car insurance, you know, where you can like compare plans and stuff, it's supposed to be like that. Uh, you know, it's depending on the state, you know, it varies state by state. And again, some states did not participate in the Affordable Care Act. So in those states uh, that did not set up exchanges, the residents need to browse on the federal site healthcare.gov. And generally speaking, states that did not participate in the Affordable Care Act, um, there are generally fewer insurers working in those states. And within the insurers that do, even fewer that offer marketplace plans. So in some, some places, some people might have only one option or might have, you know, a couple pretty bad <laughs> options. Um, so that, that's part of the reason why people in certain places are very unhappy with the Affordable Care Act. Uh, some other things that the Affordable Care Act did, the stuff that you're hearing a lot about now, is um, it made it illegal to discriminate against people uh, based on their pre-existing conditions. So because we have a for-profit healthcare system, insurance companies have historically made money by raising prices and or refusing coverage to people who are sick and people who are old. Um, which is funny because like, they're, that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole point. That's who they're supposed to be serving is, you know, sick people, whether it be sick from any number of causes. Um, so yeah, it, it made it illegal for them to deny coverage to people based on pre-existing conditions. Uh, it used to be impossible for people like me to buy health insurance as an individual, uh, except for those high risk pools that I talked about earlier. Um, it made it illegal for them to suddenly drop your coverage after you get sick because they don't want to pay for it. It made it illegal for them to uh, deny coverage for certain conditions. So like maybe, you're, maybe you do have health coverage, but you have asthma, so they'll cover everything except issues related to asthma, uh, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah pretty ridiculous. But this used to be the, the norm. This used to be commonplace. And people, people have forgotten, I think. Um, the Affordable Care Act also protects people from being charged more because they're sick or because they're old or because they're, you know, 
a woman, which was also quite commonplace. Prior to the Affordable Care Act, people were routinely denied coverage for these pre-existing conditions. Pregnancy was a pre-existing condition. Um, now, the, the marketplaces, this individual market, really hinged on getting young and healthy people into the insurance pool, which would enable premiums to stay low enough for the marketplaces to work for people. Um, this is another place where the law has kind of fallen short. Um, for some people who are currently healthy, it just has made more sense for them to pay the tax penalty than to enroll in monthly insurance that they don't think that they'll use. And, you know, that's an individual decision that's based on all sorts of factors. And um, this piece of the law was challenged in the Supreme Court. And that was like a whole thing. So, uh, yeah, that's it's kind of a mess right now. Um, it's a mess because also a lot of the people who are currently working to repeal the Affordable Care Act have spent the last six or seven years spreading misinformation about it and what it does and what it entails. Like a lot of people will talk about being covered on Obamacare, but Obamacare is not actually a health insurance plan. Obamacare is the law that encompasses all sorts of stuff and the individual plans vary, like I said, on a state-to-state -state basis and in many cases on a county-to-county -county basis. The Affordable Care Act I think I mentioned earlier before, also expanded Medicaid, but not everywhere because of certain governors' oppositions to the law. This is another place where I have benefited greatly from the Affordable Care Act because I now have access to staying alive thanks to New York's expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. So basically, in short, the Affordable Care Act is supposed to hold insurers accountable for their actions and give you more rights as a consumer. Does it always work out that way? Not exactly. But the law also required insurers to provide better benefits for the people on those plans. So when you purchase a health plan today, you're supposed to be guaranteed coverage for emergency care, hospitalization, lab testing, maternity care, mental health care, outpatient services, pediatric services, prescription drugs, preventative care, rehabilitative services and care, and as well, um, other reproductive health stuff. Things like birth control without a copay and annual well woman visits without a copay and, and uh, all that stuff kind of goes into, wraps in with the preventative care part. Uh, the birth control thing was another thing that was challenged in the Supreme Court. Uh, but I mean, imagine if the law hadn't had this huge orchestrated push to dismantle it and disseminate false information about it. Imagine if people actually work together to implement the law and administer the law and get people the health care that they need. I think uh, we would all be a much better place. We would be working on improving the law instead of working to keep the law at all. <laughs> I mean, imagine we've had six or seven years now uh, that the legislative branch of our government could have been improving on this law to get more health care to more people. And instead, um, a large portion of them have worked concertedly against this and have also wasted all that time in not coming up with a replacement plan, which is 
to me, unconscionable. Um, now, there, there are reasons for being opposed to this. Uh, they claim it, will be a, it would be a job killer. Um, and, you know, there's some mixed data as to whether or not that has happened. Uh, anecdotally, p- people claim that people are, are getting less hours at work so that their, their employers won't have to provide them insurance. Um, I think that's just another point for divorcing healthcare from employment in this country because linking the two has been something of a disaster, especially for people who are unable to work. Um, and since the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, jobs in the healthcare sector have actually risen by 9%. They also claim that it is an unwarranted intrusion into the affairs of private businesses and individuals. Um, again, if we removed employment as a factor for healthcare, that would be less so. And then as far as individuals are concerned, you know, that's just, I guess, a fundamental difference of opinion. Um, I, I don't know. That goes down a weird rabbit hole of uh, conservative beliefs that I have a hard time navigating. And again, I will remind you that this is actually a model that was created by the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank, and was implemented in Massachusetts by Republican Governor Mitt Romney. Um, so this isn't some sort of lefty we're going to make you have health care, whether you want it or not. Um, So that's frustrating to me because the Republican Party and a a huge industry of conservative think tanks and advocacy groups have fought the law from the day that was first proposed in 2009 and uh, have fought Barack Obama on everything, tooth and nail, since the day he took office. Which again, back to the what if we all like work toward the same common goal? That would be helpful, but this is, that's not the reality of America, which is frustrating. Um, Now back to those Supreme Court challenges. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that the Affordable Care Act was in fact constitutional, but it also struck down a provision saying that states had to change how they administered Medicaid, which is why certain states have not expanded Medicaid. Under the Affordable Care Act, states were supposed to expand the number of people who qualified for Medicaid, and in return, the federal government would provide states more funding for that program. But the court said that states could choose not to participate in the Medicaid expansion. So as a result, uh, low-income working-class families who don't qualify for Medicaid find themselves having to pay for private insurance in that gap where it is still truly unaffordable. Now, since fewer than uh, anticipated people are participating in the insurance uh, exchanges, insurance companies are backing out of participating in the Affordable Care Act. Uh, And that also is something that contributes to raising insurance costs for everyone, which then further drives down participation, and it's kind of uh, a black hole. And, you know, for some middle-income Americans, those subsidies, those tax subsidies that are provided, they're just not enough. And the fines for not having coverage are too small to really encourage them to enroll in the plans. Uh, This year, premiums were projected to rise by an average of 25%, which is ridiculous. Uh, This increase was predicted at the start of the law, though. And government subsidies to help pay for insurance will also increase. But those who should be covered by the Medicaid expansion aren't eligible 
for those subsidies. So again, this is like super complicated, varies on a state by state basis, varies on an income basis, varies on an ideological basis. Um, but I mean, what's at stake if they do repeal this, right? Uh, an estimated 22 to 30 million people will lose health coverage. Pre-existing conditions would no longer be protected. Medicaid expansion would be rolled back or at least its funding would. People could be dropped arbitrarily from coverage once you're sick. Uh, young adults would be without coverage and jack up and insurance companies would be able to jack up their premiums based on gender, age, or general wellness. Um, something I saw on Twitter also a few weeks ago uh, was somebody who, a bioethicist, tweeting that prior to the Affordable Care Act, people with health like mine used to be called burning houses. <laughs> As in, you can't buy insurance on a burning house. Um, which is true, but a pretty shitty way to think about human beings, don't you think? I do. But apparently, burning house is my 2017 aesthetic. And there's, there's so much more to the Affordable Care Act. Uh, data reporting requirements, all sorts of stuff. It set up a marketplace for small businesses to purchase insurance as well. A separate marketplace from the individual market. So uh, small companies that purchase insurance through there would also be affected. Um, you know, this is something that's really, were they to repeal the Affordable Care Act, would in fact affect most Americans. It would affect us differently um, across the board, and some of us would be affected more than others, but there's a large portion of this country, people who live with illness and disability, uh, people who rely on these protections that the Affordable Care Act granted us, uh, who will die. And that's really scary. Um, I am one of them. And uh, I would appreciate it if they, you know, kept the law, tried to work with it, made it a little better, made it better for people. Because I, I personally, uh, based on all of the time that I've spent reading and researching this and talking to people who need to access health care, um, and based on the Republican Party platform, um, whatever they come up with for a replacement will not be sufficient to keep us alive. And that is really disappointing. Um, disappointing is an interesting word, but that's what came out. So uh, that's why we're all up in arms about this. Um, since before the implementation of the law, many people have had a very um, incorrect understanding of what this law does and what this law grants to people as far as protections go. Um, I've said this in several episodes that the title Obamacare pulls rather poorly because people have all sorts of incorrect assumptions about what Obamacare is and what it entails. When they poll the Affordable Care Act and its specific provisions, it actually polls rather highly. And just this weekend, we saw people get out in the streets all across the country and rally to keep the Affordable Care Act, which was very, very comforting to me. I'm glad to know that that many people do feel this way and are willing to make their voices heard. Um, I'm glad that they 
were out there in the streets because uh, the people who need who need this law the most uh, can't always get out there themselves. Um, and I'm hearing, although I haven't actually met any of these people, but I hear it exists. People who voted for Donald Trump. Um, there are some people who voted for Donald Trump thinking that he wouldn't actually repeal the Affordable Care Act, even though he was promising to do it on day one throughout his entire uh, campaign basically, and are now upset that it seems that in fact they are moving forward with this repeal. Uh, I've said this before, there's no reason to believe Donald Trump will do anything that he says. Uh, at the same time, the people that he's chosen to surround himself with and the people who were elected to the legislative branch of our government and the people he will be uh, appointing to the judicial system of our government, and that's not just the Supreme Court. There are dozens of lower federal court vacancies that he'll have to appoint as far as judges go. Um, I'm really scared because he is surrounding himself with people who are the most dangerous combination of self-serving, greedy incompetence um, that I think is really, really dangerous for this country. And I'm not, ay, 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 I'm not sure that I'm going to survive this for years or eight years. Um, and a lot of us aren't going to. There are, there's so much at stake here. Uh, and... I'm not surprised that the first thing that this incoming government is doing is trying to take away our health care. Now, is the Affordable Care Act perfect? Oh my God, no, of course not. Um, it's a mess, and the American healthcare system is a mess. And I personally am of the belief that we need to fix what we have and not burn it to the ground and start over, um, at least not with these people in charge. Um, it's appalling but not surprising to me. The very th first thing that this government is going after is people's health care. Um, and what can we do? I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I do not know. Um, reach out to your representatives. Let them know uh, how you feel about this. What is at stake for you personally? How the Affordable Care Act might have saved your life or saved your family from bankruptcy. Although... Um, for those of us who have tons of health problems, like we're going to go bankrupt regardless, which is cool and not cool at all. I was joking. Um, but you know, not dying of preventable complications was nice while it lasted. Um, if you live in a state where, uh, like I live in New York and Senator Gillibrand got up and was the person who introduced the bill protecting women's health care uh, and reproductive health care um, last week during the Votorama, the one that was voted down, um, and gave a really fantastic and impassioned speech as to why this stuff is important. Senator Schumer, not as big of a fan of him, but he also is against repealing the Affordable Care Act. So like, what are, what are people in states like mine supposed to do? Well, I've heard I don't know if this is true, I'm seeing it float on the internet, that you can reach out to the Republican representatives who have broken rank with the Republican Party over this specific issue. Reach out, tell them your story, let them know that what they're doing is important and that you support them in it. Um, and, and, and start sharing your story if you want to. You don't have to. 
There's a lot of like privacy implications that come with this stuff. So it's nobody's beeswax unless you want it to be. But if you want to share your story, it's important that you do. Um, you know, and you don't have to start a podcast or like whatever. Uh, but talk to the people in your life. Talk to them. See where they are on this issue. Tell them your story. Tell them the stories of others. Um, you know, like I said in a previous episode, not everyone believes that healthcare is a human right. <laughs> um, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, some people don't believe that human rights are important also, which is also quite a challenge. And to be perfectly honest, I really don't know what to do about those people. Um, I've talked to a few of those recently and it's rather disheartening to know that they don't give a shit that people are gonna die and they think that some people should die which is interesting and scary and um you know the I really don't want to be a fearmonger about this but the Nazis started with the disabled so we have to stop this we have to get out there get our stories out there and be heard however we can I guess um Try not to get burnt out, which is difficult. I wasn't paying attention and uh, my recorder ran out of space. So this part might sound a little bit different. I just wanted to wrap up and uh, lend you my support and my solidarity and um, let you know that you are not alone. If you feel like this is bananas and should not be happening um, this Saturday, Women and allies all over the country are going to be out in mass marching in the women's marches. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm hoping to make the one in New York City as long as it stays relatively warm and dry and I feel well enough. Um, so no guarantees, but I really hope to be there. I got the chance to visit the... Uh, flagship Nasty Women exhibition this weekend, which was amazing. Uh, if you don't know what that is, shortly after the election, there was a, a call for art for this Nasty Women exhibition, and they had such an incredible response that they set up exhibits in different cities all over the world. Uh, the one in New York City had art from over 700 artists. They raised almost $35,000 for Planned Parenthood just in the first three hours on its opening night. Um, so by the time I got there on Saturday, there was actually very little art left, uh, which was a bummer, but also I'm so thrilled that it was such a fantastic success. I do believe they sold out by the end of the weekend, but there was all sorts of other stuff going on. They had uh, different activist groups there to sign up with, to march with on Saturday. Uh, Planned Parenthood was there. I think NOW was there, the National Organization for Women. To be honest, there was just so much going on. I, I can't remember exactly who was there and what. Um, they, Oh my God, this was so cool. And I don't even like loud noises, but I loved this. So they had this troupe of female drummers and they had, it was in this old door factory, so the space was really huge, and they had uh, drum sets set up all over the place. They even had one in the bathroom, which was really cool, and um, at different points throughout the day, they would all start drumming, and that was just the coolest. Uh, what else happened? Oh, I got to see an incredible panel and got to link up with some other activists doing incredible work. Um, just good, good stuff all around, um, and for as 
despondent and hopeless as I've been feeling, going there and being around other people who are just as pissed off and ready to fight as I am uh, really, really galvanized me and gave me hope and fuel for these dark days that are ahead. So give them hell, man. Give them hell. And more than ever before, it's super important to be excellent to yourselves and each other. And uh, I hope to see you out there this Saturday.